0: joint bell the back to the right of Matthew Stafford is in the gun Stafford's got it. Four-man rush. Sets the pocket. Throws got Calvin. There's the record. Calvin turning the corner for 30. 35-40 and runs out of bounds at the 45-yard line. Megatron into the history books, breaking Jerry Rice's all-time record for receiving yards in a season that he set back in 1995. Calvin also in the record. First, that is four straight games with a least receptions.
1: What is up, Football Nation? Welcome to episode 32 of the Football Nation Presents the Sportscasters Podcast. It is December 28th, 2012 in a very snowy, snowy Buffalo, New York. And uh, it's the last show of 2012, Don. Next week when we do the show, it will be 2013. And I think the odds in Vegas are two to one that I say it is January whatever. (laughs) 2012. 2012.
2: Yeah, yeah. We'll have to wait and see, I guess.
1: I always remember in school for the whole first, like, two weeks back after Christmas, constantly writing on my tests and papers that it was the year that it wasn't. So, thrilling stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Hope everyone had a great Christmas or holiday season or whatever they celebrated in December. Um I know mine was good. I'm the host, Steve Bennett, co-host Don Russ over there.
2: Mine was also good.
1: (laughs) Don had his baby's first Christmas.
2: What was that like? Uh, She's not that into it yet. No? No, she opened gifts a little bit, but she got bored with it. She likes to tear the paper and try to eat it. But beyond that, not that into it. So next year will be the year. So we'll look forward to that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, you will for sure. Sure, yeah.
1: Yeah. like we said last week, well, first of all, Kerry J. Byrne, the boss, is back today. Uh, We had him on right around the middle of the season.
2: When he declared Houston the best team in the league.
1: Yeah, and so we'll see how maybe that may have changed now that we're at the end of the season. So we're going to get some really quality information from Kerry in the middle of the show. Before we get to that, I want to thank Jim Trotter for being on the show last week. Uh, Jim did a great job, and I think the biggest thing he said is that Denver can't be beat in Denver, in his opinion. Sure doesn't look like it. So, if you're a Broncos fan, you have to be excited about the prospects of potentially stealing away what looked weeks ago like a lock in terms of home field advantage for Houston to be able to go into the last week and have the potential to take that away and know that you might not be able to be beat.
2: They, they look really good to me, the Broncos. They look like a team that has the least glaring weakness, maybe.
1: Yeah, because I think it's so underrated how good their defense is right. when their defense is on the field. Yep. I mean, I think I was just looking at the sack leaders, and Von Miller has seventeen and a half sacks. Right. And you could make an argument that no matter who they're playing, they have the best player on the field when they're on offense and on defense. Sure, yeah. So pretty interesting, but I'm sure we'll get into all of that Nothing really to report on Sportscaster's proper side of things because we're on Christmas-slash-New Year's hiatus right now. Right. Um, And uh, so I guess we'll remind you that you can find this podcast, the new and old, at www.footballnation.com. And you can find the newest and oldest ones by clicking on the podcast tab at the top of the page. And uh, you can find our old and uh, new when we get to 2013 Sportscasters proper episodes by going to www.sportscasters.com. So today we have an interview with Kerry J. Byrne. We have an email. We have one last thing. And we'll get everything started with three things. Let's play a game. All right. Mm-hmm. Count of three. One. All righty. I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> this is the funnest
0: night ever. <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Yup.
1: Now let's move on to other business.
2: This is the part of the show where we look ahead to next week's games. And uh, really, this is it for a lot of teams. All that we have locked up right now are the Bengals are going to be the 6th seed in the AFC. And the Colts are going to be the five seed in the AFC Nothing is determined yet in the NFC. There are, I believe, nine teams that can still make the playoffs. I mean, of the, I mean, the six teams obviously make it, but there's three or four teams fighting for that eighth spot, uh, and it's going to be a battle. There's not. I was looking at the schedule this week, and I thought right away we can eliminate all the meaningless games. There's no point to talk about right. the meaningless games.
1: I think the best way to do it is you team me up with a game that has relevance, and I'll tell you what. The playoff scenarios are in that game. All right, we got the Ravens and Bengals. Okay, so Bengals locked in six, like I already said. Right, and uh, the Ravens are locked at five.
2: They're not locked. They're actually at four right now because they wanted to. Oh, they're in division. division.
1: You're right. Excuse me. They
2: can possibly move up to three if New England loses, which isn't likely because they're playing Miami, who has nothing to play for. But. I believe they would have a better opponent's strength of schedule or something. I'm looking at the playoff scenarios on
1: NFL.com, and and they just didn't have anything about the Ravens. That's why I thought wherever they were, they were locked. You into know what? It's it.
2: possible. When I looked at the standings, I thought that the Ravens wouldn't have anything to play for, but.
1: So the Ravens, it's kind of debatable, and Ravens fans out there probably know what their team sure. needs to do. Sure. The reason
2: I said this is because I was reading an article, a preview article on ESPN, I think, between the Ravens and Bengals game, and they said there's an off chance that this is the week, or this is the first wild card matchup. But for that to happen, the Ravens would have to pass New England, and I'm not sure how they would do that. I don't see a scenario. So maybe that article was misinformed, and maybe they'll post an edit about it or something tomorrow. But uh, yeah, I don't believe they can move either. Because in the head-to-head game, New England won too, right? They, I believe they played this year. And I don't see anything about New England moving.
1: New England clinches the first round by with a, a win. win and a Denver loss or a win and a Houston loss. Right. New England cl- clinches home field advantage so first overall. with a win and a
2: Denver and Houston loss. Right, and we already said they play the Patriots. Or they play the Dolphins, sorry. I just, I don't, I can't see the scenario where, I think that article must have been wrong. I think the article I was looking at yeah, must have been I, wrong. I
1: think, the, I think that we know that the Ravens are four, the Colts are five, and the, the Bengals, Bengals are six. six.
2: That sounds right. So the week one matchup was going to be then Ravens-Colts. It's just a matter of figuring out who plays the Bengals then, right? Right. Right whoever finishes third out of the big three teams in the AFC. Right, and as you heard, the Chiefs play the Broncos. The Broncos should win that one, and they will have something they to play for. They clinch
1: a first-round by Denver with a win or tie, and they clinch home field advantage with a Denver win or Houston loss or tie or a Denver tie and a Houston loss.
2: Right. I mean, they can potentially—the top three teams— can potentially all win and they would just stay where they are or if teams around them lose, they could shuffle a little bit. Houston clinches a first round bye with a win win. or a tie, a New England loss, or a Denver loss. So, the AFC is basically set. There's just a little bit of shuffling around there. The NFC is where it gets a little more crazy. The Bears play the Lions and they need to win to even have a chance.
1: They need to win and they need a Minnesota loss or tie or they can get in with a tie and a Minnesota loss. (laughs) So they really need Green Bay to beat Minnesota Minnesota to have any chance. And they have to win their game. The
2: Giants are probably eliminated for all intents and purposes, but they they can get in.
1: They clinch a playoff berth with a win, a Dallas loss or tie, plus a Chicago
2: loss, plus a Minnesota loss. Yeah, so they need a ton to happen for the Giants. Um, Packers and the Vikings really is probably the game of the week. Vikings are winning. You're in, I believe. Yes, the Vikings clinch a playoff berth with the win. Right, and the Packers, this isn't a meaningless game. They can be the second or the third seed. So the second seed is huge. You go in and not have to play that first week, and you have home field advantage against everybody except the one seed. So, I think one of the very interesting things, well,
1: first of all, let's just finish out the NFC East since we've kind of talked about those teams. The Redskins and the Cowboys will play each other on Sunday Night Football. And if Washington wins or ties the game, they are the NFC East champions. Dallas is eliminated from wildcard competition. They got eliminated by the Saints from the wildcard. But they can still win the NFC East division because of the tiebreaker scenarios. In a tie, right, right. in the event of a tie between Washington and Dallas, which they would be, both be 9-7, and seven, it would go all the way down to the common opponent tiebreaker, which Dallas would win 8-4 to versus 7-5. to So, but Washington is still alive for a playoff berth. They can clinch the wild card regardless of their game with the Chicago and Minnesota loss. Right. So Washington has a front door in and a back door in.
2: Right, right. Front
1: door in is you win. Win. The backdoor is you lose, and then you get Chicago and Minnesota to lose, and you'd be the sixth seed. Dallas can only get in by winning. Right, and, and that game is in Washington.
2: And that's like I said, that crazy four-way team of all those teams trying to make it in. Dallas can—they have—they would be winning their division—is the reason they would. That's make it the in, right? only they, way they get in. Right, yep. they can't get in. They the can't wild get card.
1: in as a wild card where Washington can, even with a loss. But they would
2: need. Chicago and Minnesota to lose. Yeah, so Giants and Dallas potentially need a lot of help. So let's do the NFC West next.
1: Um, San Francisco plays Arizona and they clinch the NFC West with a win or a tie. They clinch a first round bye with a win and a Green Bay loss or a tie. The Seahawks actually have a chance, believe it or not, to get a first round bye. They would need to win and have San Francisco and Green Bay lose. That would put them second in the NFC, which is pretty incredible. Uh, to win the NFC West, they need a win and a loss. But, you know, the Seahawks are going to be in the playoffs either way.
2: It's just a matter of where they're seated. It's unbelievable. That I, I'll get into that. I mean, sneak preview, that's my one more thing. But that team... That's an unbelievable team to me. I mean, the turnaround, in my opinion, on them has maybe been greater than any team I've watched. I mean, it's, they're impressive. They really are impressive. And that kind of leads us to the Packers, who can simply clinch a
1: first-round by with a win, or a San Francisco loss or tie, or a San Francisco loss and Seattle loss and tie.
2: So I'm not looking at this. The Packers are currently 2
1: yeah, the Packers control their own destiny to be too. Oh right,
2: because of the tie that San Francisco had. Yeah, right, right, right. Okay, yeah. It, so the Packers, yeah, they need that game. That that. I mean, we'll bring it up about Adrian, but it's an interesting game for a lot, a lot of reasons.
1: And what is settled, which we haven't said really, is that Atlanta has clinched the South and home field advantage in the NFC. So the role of the Super Bowl in the NFC, we know, is going right. to have, they have to nothing go through to play Atlanta, for right? The Packers have clinched the North. The 49ers have clinched the south or the west, excuse me. No. Oh no, a playoff
2: berth. They clinched the playoff spot, right, right. And
1: Seattle has clinched a playoff berth. Yep. In the AFC, we know that New England has clinched the east, Broncos has clinched the west, Texans have clinched the south, Ravens have clinched the north, and Indianapolis and Cincinnati has clinched a playoff. Berth. Who
2: would have thought maybe 5 years ago, maybe less than that that you could probably make a pretty good argument that the NFC West is the best division in football. like Because they're they're a little bit... I mean, their weakest team is pretty weak in a, in Arizona. But St. Louis has proven to be a pretty good team. They might finish the season with a winning record at 8-7-1. And, and Seattle and San Francisco are as impressive as anybody, particularly Seattle, the way they've played down the stretch. And the Rams
1: have played some very good seasons this year. Especially against San Francisco, they tied right. and beat San Francisco. Yeah,
2: they were they were seconds away from tying them twice, but yeah, they 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 uh, beat San. I gave the stat last week. I believe that New England hadn't beaten anybody in that division, division except but... for St. Louis, and St. Louis hasn't lost to anybody in their their division record. St. Louis is four zero and one in that division. With Seattle and San Francisco.
1: St. Louis is a couple of pieces around Sam yeah. Bradford yep. away from being a real contender for the playoffs.
2: I totally agree. I mean, you can't totally take the blame away from him. He's a little bit uneven when he plays sometimes. But, man, can he make some throws Like when he's on? Yeah, he just needs, he needs some weapons.
1: And at Oklahoma, he was most effective when he had a really good tight end. I think Lance Kendricks has been a little bit of a disappointment. When yeah. Jermaine Gresham, who's... Flourishing in Cincinnati, right, was healthy. Sam Bradford was kind of a different quarterback at times. So,
2: right. So, they, I mean, we laid them all out for you. There's your playoff scenarios. A lot of teams really. The playoffs start this week. So, good, good weekend of football. Considering your fantasy leagues are probably over, it's cool to watch games that maybe you wouldn't otherwise because there's a lot of meaning to them.
1: It's a great red zone week because red zone's going to be oh yeah all over. Following those playoff scenarios all day and making
2: sure that yeah they, they don't touch uh, as a Bills fan I didn't watch any of the Bills game last week because I was in my championship in the red zone or in the my fantasy league so I just stuck to red zone I saw three Bills highlights I think all day
1: what were they Reggie
2: Bush touchdown Reggie Bush touchdown and like a sixty yard CJ Spiller run that he didn't score on but someday yeah, in the a... off
1: season we have to get into why the Bills are convinced that C.J. Spiller is not better than Freddie Jackson. Who knows? So, Too much we'll,
2: loyalty there. Freddie Jackson's a good guy. but yeah. He is a
1: great guy, and I love Freddie Jackson for that. But, I mean, it's time to turn it over to Spiller. But we'll find another time to talk about that.
2: My second thing this week, congratulations to Calvin Johnson. Uh, Megatron sets a single-season yeah, record. Right, we played the highlight off the top. The si- Single-season receiving Yardage records with 1,892 yards and is a game to go. Uh, if you do the math, that's 108 yards away from 2,000, which is unbelievable. Yeah, he'd uh, be
1: the first receiver in NFL history to. That's inc- obviously receive 2,000 yards in one season. We talked
2: a little bit off the air, and there's a lot of ways you can argue it, but you can argue that's more impressive than what Peterson's done. You you could potentially argue if he hits 2,000 yards, it's the most impressive thing any player has ever done. But
1: then you could also argue the opposite, that it's about rule changes in the right. league yep, and being able sure. to go over the middle. And I heard Dion Sanders kind of talking a little bit about that. That in 1995, when Jerry Rice set this record... People were hitting them. People and... were, you know, you go across the middle of the field, it took a special receiver to be willing to do that. Right. You know, and I've, uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong, anyone can, but I believe that the pass he caught to break, break the record was basically a slant that he ran yeah, across. Yeah, he was definitely
2: running, running, it was some sort of crossing route across the field. Yeah, and that would have been a scary place to run in the past, and it still is against certain teams, but... So it's interesting. You can
1: argue, you know, if you're a diehard Lions or Calvin Johnson fan, you can argue that what he's done is as impressive or more than what impressive as Adrian. Or you could take the other side and say, you know what? It's about the rules. Some of it's and the, the way rules, the game is played. A lot of
2: it's the position too, because when Emmitt Smith passed uh, who Walter did he, Payton, Walter Payton for that was the rushing record. Yep, all he's, time. I think he still needed to pass Jerry Rice for all purpose yards or something like that. And it seems to me like boy, that seems like a harder record to get as a receiver because you're relying on a quarterback. You're and people talked about that, like all the fanfare Emmett got for the rushing title and how it was kind of less much to a lesser extent for like uh, Jerry Rice's just receiving record. And boy, you a lot has to go right for the receiver. You've got to get open, you gotta get a quarterback to throw you the ball.
1: I wouldn't have a problem with someone trying to tell me that Jerry Rice is one of the best
2: football players who's
1: ever played the game.
2: Right. I think he's made maybe the best ever at, in football because there's no argument. The, I think we've laid this out before in the past. I don't know if it was on the podcast or just something we were doing, maybe like on a road trip or I mean, something. When you hear but,
1: people say things like that, it's like quarterbacks always come up first, and I think that's because it's a quarterback-driven league.
2: The way I would make the argument for Jerry Rice, though, is – and this is kind of off topic, but we're talking about records and great players. But uh if you say the best quarterback ever is Joe Montana, I can argue that it's somebody else. <clears throat> if you say the best Johnny receiver, Unitas. right, sure. If you say the best receiver ever is Jerry Rice, you can't argue anyone's better, right? I mean, numbers wouldn't bear it out. You'd have a hard time making that case. So that would be why I if I was going to make the argument, I would say that Jerry Rice is the best football player ever. Because you can't argue that anyone at his position is even really arguable that he's he's the one. Right, guy. Even
1: when you get to Jim Brown and running back, someone can say Barry Sanders or O.J. Simpson, Simpson. right,
2: right. There's you just can't. It's the one position you really can't argue. Maybe now when Calvin Johnson, Larry Fitzgerald, these guys start to retire and their numbers are close to his, maybe then you can make the argument. But like you said, it's different rules. So. Uh, I just think that's an interesting argument in general. Like, What's harder to get? Yards from a receiver standpoint or yards from a rushing standpoint? Well, speaking of that,
1: it's very interesting that this season, Adrian Peterson and Calvin Johnson, if you look at their numbers, Adrian Peterson has 1,898 yards rushing and Calvin Johnson has 1,892 yards receiving. Uh, But Peterson... I wanted to bring this up as my second thing. To get your opinion, he needs 208 yards to tie, 209 yards to break the record, and he needs 102 yards to get to 2,000. 2000. Where where do you think this great run by Adrian Peterson, how do you feel it will end? Because obviously you're going to hear a little bit later that I can't answer these questions because... (laughs) Kerry calls me out for having a man crush on Adrian Peterson, and I fully admit to having one.
2: If you just look at numbers, it's comparable. But I don't think you can just look at numbers because the circumstances around it are just incredible. The fact that he came back as fast as he did from his injury to put these numbers up is astonishing. And the fact that this is the argument we made before a little bit that would be on Peterson's side versus Calvin Johnson's side, is these games matter. Kelvin Johnson's putting up those yards when they're losing. As a running back, you don't get to put up those yards usually when you're losing because your team's trying to catch up quickly. Peterson's winning games on his own. They beat Houston last week, and he didn't have a great day, but he got it out like 85 or whatever. 87 yards 87 rushing, yeah. tough yards, uh, probably against nine-man boxes, 10-man boxes all day and allowed his team to run clock after they took a lead and just kind of hold on to a lead. And that's the way that team wins right now. They win with like solid defense and uh, an unbelievable running game. So he's doing it, and he's almost single-handedly going to bring his team to the playoffs. So it's, it's a really remarkable season. And Barry Sanders had a ton of yards too, but it wasn't always on good teams. So the – the situations he's doing it in, and that makes next week's game interesting, I think, too, because he needs 208 yards. Well, you either got to be way up. No, really, that's it. You got to be up to be running the ball. Uh, if they get way behind, it's going to be hard to justify their season for a record. You know, you can't keep feeding them the ball if you're behind two touchdowns. And you need and you that need win, quick, potentially, to get, get in the playoffs. playoffs. Right, so it'll be a real interesting week. That, to me, is the most interesting game on the calendar Uh, I know we mentioned the late game's good, too, but just a lot of storylines in that game between the playoffs and and the the record. My last thing this week is more stats. Uh, Kind of guys that have also broken records, but maybe a little bit lesser with less fanfare here. But uh, Jason Witten having an all-time great tight end season, which is really almost totally gone, forgotten about. I I feel like, I mean, I, I... No, they. I watched
1: the whole game on Sunday between the Cowboys and the Saints. Saints, And the fact that he was chasing the record wasn't brought up by Buck or Aikman until the catch before he tied the record. That's
2: incredible. I don't know how it goes forgotten about. I wonder if to some extent, I mean, it wouldn't be a fair reason to say it, but he had like a 19-catch game or something at the beginning of the season. Just a ridiculous pad your stats game, but... So maybe, he also
1: started the season with like a ruptured spleen
2: or something. Yeah, so he'd be the story of the year if not for the Calvin Johnson, Adrian Peterson, and really even Brandon Marshall you can throw in there, a guy that's just been forgotten about this year. But yeah, Jason Witten, congratulations, sets the single season tight end res- uh, record for receptions with and 103. A, it's
1: interesting, that's the second straight year a tight end record has fallen. As Gronkowski yeah, last yeah. year set the yardage mark for a tight end.
2: It's just becoming a super important position. Teams that are good seem to have good tight ends. and uh, Yeah, he had 103 this year. Gronk and Graham had kind of banged up seasons this year. So they weren't going to be able Jimmy to it Jimmy Graham probably
1: had the best fumble recovery of the season. Yeah. Him and Colson had the best one-two punch fumble I've ever seen, but I'll talk a little bit more about that later.
2: Colson loves the fumble, it seems like. Every time I see a highlight of him, he's fumbling. I know he catches a lot of clutch you know what's crazy Third about it, downs. You'd be shocked about how, many, are how turnovers? many he
1: hasn't turned over. Wow. I think he's lost less than five fumbles in his career.
2: Crazy. Uh, well, we ran out of music here, so we're running long. Uh, the other record we have is Kai Forbath, a kicker record. Started his career 17 for 17. I guess he's the first guy to ever do that, so congratulations to him. And this week, while you're watching the games, in addition to Peterson eating 208, Russell Wilson, The third-round draft pick that everybody missed on, including my Buffalo Bills, not surprisingly, uh, has 25 TD passes. For a guy that seems like maybe more of a game manager, 25 TD passes and only needs two to pass Peyton Manning for the most ever by a rookie. And we got two guys chasing down the sack record, Strahan's 22.5 sacks that, as they always say, uh, you have to preface this by saying sacks have only been recorded stats since 1982. Watt has 20.5, so he's two sacks away. Alden Smith is 19.5. He is three sacks away. And Watt plays the Colts. In his last game against the Colts, he had three, which would put him one above the record. Alden Smith plays the Cardinals, where he had two sacks in their first meeting. So if he can get three or four, it would be a ton. It would be a lot of sacks. But, I mean, they're playing some teams that give up sacks. So,
1: I like Watt's chances.
2: I, yeah, I think so, too. That's a big
1: game for them. They don't need the Colts. Don't really need it that much.
2: They don't need it at all. They're they locked in Yeah, that
1: game is nothing to them. I'd imagine that we're not going to see a lot of Andrew Luck. No, Um, maybe a half. And, I mean, he goes up against the best tackle every year. That might be a guy that, or every week, that might be a guy you don't play much.
2: I said a half, and I immediately kind of want to withdraw that. I think Luck probably plays until he gets hit one time, and they're like, nope, all right, that's enough. <laughs> uh, I there's no reason to play him. But, yeah, a lot of stats this week, uh, or a lot of records that are on the cusp of being broken this week. And, Mike, real quickly, my Reddit stat of the week. Last week, Greg McElroy's stat line 14 completions, 11 sacks. He had almost as many sacks as completions. And that's not even necessarily a knock on McElroy. I mean, that's a bad offense. He had 14 completions. But, wow, that offensive line gave up 11 sacks. No wonder
1: he's got concussion passes. Yeah, and he won't week. be playing this week, it looks like. Unbelievable. Well, speaking of quarterbacks getting injured, we were talking about the Lions a little earlier, and NFL.com had a really interesting story about their former offensive lineman, Lomas Brown, uh, who back in 1994 purposely missed a block so that his quarterback, Scott Mitchell, would get sacked. And Mitchell was hurt on the play. Um, He was on ESPN's first take on Thursday... And he went into damage control mode and said that it's interesting that Mitchell is a guy who once had invited Brown into his house as a dinner guest (laughs) and called Brown's admission of it disappointing and painful. Uh, This is what Brown says today. That was 1994, and I was extremely frustrated with the situation that was going on. As you know, I didn't try to get the guy hurt, but that's what ended up happening. Right. Of course, Brown previously has stated that Mitchell getting injured and out of the game was exactly what he was trying <laughs> to do. Brown should just stop talking for a while. More comments from Brown. I should have been more tactful about how I said that, he said of his initial comments. It came off as boastful and I should have said it I shouldn't have said it that way. I said it, I can't take it back, but I shouldn't have said it the way I said it. No, Loomis, you shouldn't have said it at all, says Dan Hanzoos, who wrote the article for NFL.com. Can you imagine a teammate?
2: Yeah, I don't... First I don't, of
1: all, doing that?
2: That's, like, that's pretty petty. He must hate his quarterback for some reason, but yeah, I mean...
1: I know Scott Mitchell is a quarterback that was prone to making a mistake here or two,
2: but... That's just disgusting. So that was his way. Maybe he didn't even personally dislike him. He just wanted him out of the game, so he wanted him injured. I mean, that's. And then. And now, all this, all these years later, you
1: wait on him enough to. It now is the time to apologize, and your apology is this. Like I said, I should have been more tactful about how I said it. It came off as boastful. I should have said it that way. I said it. I can't take it back, but I shouldn't have said the way it said it. That's an apology without the word sorry in it, by the way. (laughs) Right. Or the word Scott Mitchell. So, Lomas Brown, you're a creep. Yeah, I I would have to agree. All right, so that does it for three things for this week. We're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back with the boss, Carrie J. Byrne. Our guest on the show today is from Quincy, Massachusetts, and is a graduate of Boston College. He has created the revolutionary cold hard football facts concept and is the nation's foremost authority on the gridiron lifestyle of beer, food, and football. He is making his second appearance on the podcast this season. A warm sportscaster, welcome to the boss, the great Kerry J. Byrne. What's up, Kerry?
0: Doing well, Steve. How are you doing? I appreciate the, the very kind introduction.
1: Well, you know, we've got to be nice to the boss, number one. And <laughs> number two, got to hit you with something right off the top.
0: All so
1: right. January 4th, it's right around the corner. Yep. And uh, I know you know this, that my brother is a D1 ice hockey player at Yale. And he will be making a bus trip to your university to play the bookend of a home-and-home series against the BC Eagles. So, who are number one in the country, by the way. Congratulations on that.
0: Of course, of course. What else would they be at this point?
1: Right. And uh, last (laughs) year, when the game was in Yale, if it wasn't for Chris Kreider, who is an NHL player, saving your bacon in the last literally five seconds of the game, we would have beat you last year. So, what do you have to say? I mean, are we going to make a bet? Are we going to have any kind of rivalry over this? Or are we just going to, you know... What, what's what's the deal?
0: Uh, you know what? I'll have to think of a, I'll think of a good wager, but I think if I think of Yale would beat Boston College, that that your soul would probably burn in eternal hell.
1: <laughs> so
0: I, you know, I wouldn't wish that upon anybody, not even upon you, Steve.
1: All right. So speaking of Boston, but, you know,
0: Boston. Listen, Boston College. It's a it's a good sports school. You know, what the football and basketball programs have all obviously been down. Uh, you can always trust the Boston College hockey team, and. And you can't say enough about what Jerry York's done there. And I think the big change for to talk hockey a little bit, I know you're a big hockey fan. Yeah. For years what Boston College always did is got the, the big the top name the top talented kids from all the fancy schmancy prep schools. Yep. That's what they did forever, you know? Yep. All the fancy New England prep schools. And they always got their ass kicked by like B U. Which was always the tough Catholic school kid from Boston. That that was the difference. Like Catholic Memorial and, and schools like that I tended to send their kids to BU for whatever reason and and B.C. got, you know, B.C. high kids but a lot of these kind of fancy, fancy prep school kids. And I think B.U. was always a tougher team, who's still, by the way, number six in the country. B.U. was a tougher team. And what happened is under Jerry York, they really went out, started getting, you know, a lot more Canadian talent. And that was really, to me, in the last 20 years, a big difference for this Boston College hockey team, Whether they're a perennial uh, national title contender and won what now 3 ended Jerry what I mean this is a great program yeah
1: and one of them was led by Rochester New York native Brian Gianta, who ended up being a US Olympian and has had a great NHL career and grew up right down the sh- yeah, right down the highway from me
0: yeah and he was a uh uh you know a tough little player i mean he had to be what 5 6 I yeah mean, I well, he's a little
1: he, little guy a little guy for he's sure played out
0: there but he was a little ball of muscle and he uh, he was crazy he was you know he was reckless out there and uh you know a lot of a lot of fun to watch, to put it in football terms, he was kind of like the, the Wes Welker of, uh, of of the National Hockey League. Yeah, absolutely. He a guy who had a lot of talent and a lot of athletic ability, who, who got it done and took a lot of big hits and looked like he suffered a lot of pain, but uh, I think if you don't know hockey, that's, that's who Brian Gianter is, the Wes Welker of, of, of the hockey world.
1: Well, speaking of BC, they had a very nice quarterback in Matt Ryan, who's built a very nice career in Atlanta. and. The Falcons are officially, since we talked last, the number one seed in the AFC and the road to the Super Bowl. is going to have to go through Atlanta. At this point, does it mean anything to you, or do you believe that the Falcons need to finish this or at least get to the Super Bowl for this season to mean anything?
0: Well, you know, you see this with a lot of of teams, Steve, that that they're they're kind of floating around the edge of greatness and never quite able to get over the hump. But that's obviously... Where they are right now, and and I still think there's a lot of people who aren't aren't quite sold yet on, on who the Falcons are. Uh, and obviously that 34 0 win over the Giants a couple weeks ago, and then a uh, pretty good game on uh, uh, Saturday night against the Lions, uh, I think really helped the cause, especially the, the Giants game to to turn the tables on a team that embarrassed them just you know back in January. I think is a it's a big statement for this team. I still have reservations, though. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you why. They've played only four quality opponents all year, fewest of any team in football this year. For a little perspective, the, the Browns have faced nine in quality opponents. The Jaguars have faced nine quality opponents. The Lions have faced ten quality opponents. The Saints, eight. The Giants, nine. Uh, you know, the, the, the Falcons have played a soft schedule. That is what it is, to their credit. They're 4-0 in those games against quality opponents. But it has not been the toughest slate. So I think that's my concern about the Falcons still. And, team that still something to improve in the postseason. And also this season, and by the way, Steve, we have uh, what we call uh, uh, in the Football Nation family, a coldhead football Facts. We have what we call uh, the Relativity Index. It's one of our quality stats. And it measures how well you perform relative to the quality of your opposition. And the, the Falcons are very good on that, but they're number six. There are five teams who outperform the opposition week in and week out at a higher level than the Falcons do. So that to me says, I mean, they're obviously a playoff team. Are they the best team in the playoffs? No, I still don't think they are the best team in the playoffs. I think there are three teams in the, in the NFL who I think would beat them, and in the NFC I, mean, uh, I think would beat them, Seattle, San Francisco, and, And Green Bay, I think right now, are still better teams than the Atlanta
1: Falcons. Yeah, and I was going to mention, I'm looking at Cold Hard Football Facts right now, and and when you click on the quality stats link at the top, you can see where everyone ranks overall, and Atlanta is the third-ranked team in the NFC behind Green Bay and Seattle, and I want to ask you a question about each Green Bay and Seattle. Uh, Green Bay is a team, obviously, that started a little bit on the slow side, but has built as a their momentum as the season has gone on and they are a team that also has already once under the regime that they're in now, the Aaron Rodgers uh, regime that his team been to Atlanta and spanked Atlanta in a playoff game. Yep. Do you think that they're their biggest threat?
0: I don't know if they're their biggest threat, but they're certainly a threat. And, and the thing that Green Bay does uh, well and that they've consistently done well since 2009 they are number one in the NFL this year in and, and, and what we call the mother of all stats. And I, I want your listeners to, to understand why we call this mother of all stats. It's called passer rating differential. And it's the difference between you, you subtract your uh, defensive pass rating from your offensive pass rating. So, offensive pass rating minus defensive pass rating. And it yields the pass rating differential. And we call this mother of all stats because. Uh, 36%, nearly 40% of all NFL champions, better than one in three, going all the way back to 1940, were number one in this indicator, Steve. Almost 70% were in the top three in this indicator and passed the rating. Differential, what it tells us is that the NFL is all about winning that battle of passing efficiency, and more importantly, it always has been about winning that battle of passing efficiency. And right now, Green Bay, number one in that indicator. Yep. They were number one. They were number two in 2009, but rising. Which is why we picked them to win the Super Bowl in 2010. And in 2010, they finished number one in passer rating differential and won the Super Bowl. Last well, year, they finished number one in passer rating differential again and won 15 and one. Of course, we're upset by the Giants, uh, but still a great season. And this year, they're number one again in passer rating differential. They they have a one you know 106.5 offensive passer rating, best in football, the most efficient passing offense in football, and in a, in a 75 defensive passer rating, one of the best pass defenses in football. Fourth, actually, uh, So they're number one overall in that battle of passing efficiency. So I think that makes them a threat. That makes them a deadly team. If you can consistently win that battle, history tells us that you consistently are a Super Bowl contender. And by the way, the number two team in that indicator Seattle, Seattle Seahawks, who yep. have been just on fire uh, in recent weeks. And a team that we declared, and we've been following very closely since about week six or seven of the season. They've had all the statistical hallmarks uh, bubbling beneath the surface of a great team. And it's finally kind of finally exploded to the top in volcanic fashion in the last couple
1: weeks. Well, we all got to see what Seattle is capable of. I think maybe there was a lot of people skeptical watching them run it up on Arizona and Buffalo. But we all got to see what they were capable of on Sunday Night Football last week against San Francisco. But I think there is a difference between the Seahawks when they get to play a home game and when the Seahawks are on the road. Do you believe that the Seahawks can go on the road and beat a Green Bay or a San Francisco or an Atlanta in the playoffs? And and like, are they ready for that?
0: Well, clearly they're two different teams. Home and a world play. I mean, that's, that's without doubt. They're seven and zero at home, three and five on the road. And you know, their final game this weekend uh, against the Rams is, is uh, home. So we're looking, you know, are looking at eight and zero at home and three and five on the road. But, you know, that that's really obviously a concern, and that's been a historical thing. It tells us that 12-man phenomenon. It's totally legit. This is this is a team that's very good at home. Even before this year, has always been very, you know very good at home and and struggled on the road. I think obviously that's a challenge. I think the turning point game for me though was to, was the win at Chicago a few weeks back, uh, where I didn't think they could win that game and, and they went in and. And one in overtime uh, out on the road against a pretty good Chicago team that, that may, when the Dutch settles, may, may be in the playoffs when, when all is said and done. We, we don't know that. Uh, but still, you know, it's still the number two defense in football, or uh, number three defense in football. So uh, that's still a pretty good defensive club. So to go on the road and win that game is pretty good. And then after Sensei, you know, to, to blitz the Cardinals at home, I don't care if the Cardinals suck. That's a 58 to nothing win. That's a, the fifth biggest blowout in NFL history. Okay, right. that's, not, that's not your ordinary average, everyday run-of-the-mill blowout. That's one of the biggest blowouts in the entire history of the NFL. Only four or five teams before the Cardinals have lost by, by more than 58 points in a game. So that, 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 that's, that's an impressive win, no matter where it is. And then they go late 50 on Buffalo in Buffalo. Now, Buffalo is not a great team, but still 50 points on the road. That doesn't right. happen in the NFL. Well, kind of a neutral
1: site game in Toronto. What's that? And that game was in Toronto. Oh, yeah, it was in Toronto. Yes, yeah, yeah,
0: you're right. It was in Toronto. But still, it's you know a a you know five hour flight yeah, across the country, yep. country basically. You know, it's the Eastern Time Zone game. It's a, uh, it, it's a it's a long it's a long trip, and it's it's a road game for them. Uh, and then then to beat San Francisco the way I did, I I'm not as worried today about that about that issue of home in a way as I as I would be before. And you know, by the way, they can. Still steal. <laughs> it's, a, it's a long shot. Yeah. They can still steal, steal the first round by. If the Packers and 49ers lose, the Packers, the Packers can lose to the Vikings, right?
1: Yeah, they could. The, of Coddles, course. the,
0: the, the 49ers are not likely to lose. The stranger things have happened. But if Seahawks win and losses by those two teams, the, 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 the Seahawks are sitting at home in Wildcard of the week and watching, watching the game from home and then, then hosting a the game in the divisional round. So uh, well, that would make them definitely a scary team for, you know. Uh, entering the playoffs. Speaking of and what... I think they're a scary team either way. I, I think they really are. And, and uh, the interesting thing about the Seahawks, Steve, Seattle fans are starving for attention up there. They know they have a good football team, and, and the Seahawks still don't get national attention because of where they play. They're so distantly, you know, so remote compared to most other NFL teams. And being a smaller market team, they, they don't get a lot of attention. But we've got three stories at the Cold High Football go viral this year, uh, and all three were about the Seattle Seahawks. That tells me that there's a, there's a market up there starving for national attention. They know they have a good football team. They're excited about it. They want to read about their team, and they're not getting enough love elsewhere. And they been finding the cold-hard football facts. Because we've seen this team, like I said, percolating beneath the surface for, for at least at least since the middle of the season.
1: Well, you know, you talked a little bit about the potential for the Seahawks to watch a playoff game at home on Wild Card Weekend. And last year I watched one of the greatest playoff games in NFL history, Division Weekend Round, between the 49ers and the Saints and I watched Alex Smith literally probably play the game of his life. Yep. Alex Smith isn't going to be there in the playoffs this year. It's going to be Calvin Kaepernick. And we've seen times, like on Sunday Night Football against the Patriots, why Jim Harbaugh made that move. We've seen Kaepernick make throws that Alex Smith probably wouldn't even attempt, as Jim Trotter said on this show last week. But do you believe that this team can win in the playoffs with a guy who's literally... Played, started, what, seven NFL games? Maybe eight?
0: You know, listen, we we were all about the efficiency numbers. It's okay? because the efficiency numbers are the numbers that correlate to wins and losses. I don't care how often your quarterback passes the football. If he's an efficient passer, you're going to win games. And the reality is, yeah, at this point, Alex Smith was, was still the more efficient passer. Alex Smith had a higher completion percentage, a higher average per attempt, and a higher passer than Tom Brady when he got benched. Okay? That to me is 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 a is a little you know I can see the challenge in Colin Kaepernick, but that to me is a little crazy. You know, Alex Smith seventy percent completions, Colin Kaepernick sixty three percent. Alex Smith eight yards per attempt, Colin Kaepernick eight point one. So a little bit better getting the ball downfield, but you know still you know one tenth of you know a yard per attempt. And then passer rating, Alex Smith one hundred four, Colin Kaepernick ninety six. And if you take out that Patriots game. And the Patriots have a very bad pass defense, number twenty-eight in passing yards per attempt against them. You take out that that Patriots game, and Colin Kaepernick's passing numbers are not that great, Steve. They're not. He has I'm looking at since he became a starter, uh, eight touchdown passes, four of them in the one game against the Patriots, which means in one, two, three, four, and five other games he has four touchdown passes. Yeah, well, and he has by the way, you know, three interceptions. That's those aren't great, great numbers, and I think that I think we're gonna. that this is an and by the way completion percentages in recent weeks: 78 against the Dolphins, 56 percent against the Patriots, 53 percent against the Seahawks. Uh, I see him being a liability in the playoffs. I really do. And if he the 49ers do anything but win a Super Bowl, we're going to second guess that decision until the cows come home. And rightly we should because the 49ers were a Super Bowl team with Alex Smith. And I I see the potential of Colin Kaepernick, but I don't know if he's a better quarterback than Alex Smith right now. And the the efficiency numbers, by the way, tell us in no certain terms that. Alex Smith is the better quarterback and the guy you're more likely to win a game with.
1: You know, every once in a while something strange, and we've got to get to the AFC before we're out of time, but every once in a while something strange happens in the NFC. Do you think that any of these NFC East or wildcard teams can be a big factor in the playoffs?
0: Well, <laughs> you know what? The Giants are still alive. Yep. You know, they need, they need more help in Europe after World War II, but they are still alive. With the win, I think they need, what, losses by the Cowboys, the Vikings, and the Bears. Uh, you know, so it's not a likely scenario, but, you know, who knows? Who knows? If I wouldn't yeah. get on it. I wouldn't count on it. But you know what? They were 9-7 last year. They could get in They could, at a long shot, get in this year at 9-7. And, and a team that laid waste to the 49ers the Packers, uh, I, I think that's a, that would be a scary team, as we all say and we all, we all think. Uh, they, they beat the Redskins. They beat the Packers. They beat the 49ers. Uh who else did they play in that? I think that's all the playoff teams uh, they played, and they've beaten all of them. Yeah, they've beaten all of them. So uh, if they get in, don't count them out just yet. And by the way, they beat up those they beat up those teams a couple of times You know, they beat up the 49ers, twenty six to three. They beat up the Packers thirty eight to ten. They lost the rematch with the Redskins by a point, but they you know beat them by four points earlier in the year. So uh, that would be an interesting scenario if all the fates aligned and they get in the postseason. It's I would true. not count them count them out after after what we saw last year. When literally the worst team worst regular season team in NFL history to win a championship by any measure and they went out and they went out and did it. So credit to them for doing it. And Tom Coughlin, to my money, the best big game coach certainly of his time, maybe of all time. That's 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 not a team I would take too lightly.
1: Um Last time we talked, you said that it seemed like Houston had an open road to the Super Bowl in the AFC. Since then, I'm looking at your mother of all stats, and it's Denver at the top, at number three in the AFC, and you have to go all the way down to number seven to find Houston. Since we talked about midseason, have things shifted from Houston to Denver being the favorite in the AFC?
0: Yeah, I mean, Denver has certainly been on the ascendancy. And I'm actually working on something right now for NFL Films that will be on this weekend about teams peaking in the playoffs. It's based on what we talked about earlier, a pass differential, the mother of all stats. And uh, we, we did a feature with NFL Films last year on teams that were statistically peaking going into the postseason. And we're working on that. Uh, actually, when, when this interview is I'll done, be, I'll be wrapping that up. But uh, it's a pretty interesting... Interesting info on teams that are, that are rising late in the season, and, and clearly right now you could the Houston Texans are sliding, and and the Denver Broncos and the AFC and Seattle and the NFC, of course. But the Denver Broncos are are a team on the on the ascendancy; they are rising. They're number one in our quality staff power rankings. They have been. Uh, they were not. They were number one until Seattle replaced them. Then the number one team in the AFC. Uh, they've been. They were held the number one spot themselves for three weeks. They are. Uh, you know, obviously the great the great thing about The Broncos is not only Peyton Manning, which we all know that story, Steve. We all know how great Peyton Manning is. We all know uh, how great it is that he came back from what was a catastrophic neck injury that caused him to miss an entire season. But the great story of the Denver Broncos is that they are a great defensive club. They are number four or five in scoring defense. They are number one on our defensive hog index, one of the most important stats in football because you pressure the passer. You tend to go to Super Bowls. That's a deadly combination. Peyton Manning and a great pass rush on defense is a, is a deadly combination. And I think uh, Denver right now is a superior team based on, based on what we've seen throughout the entire season. And I, I think they're the scariest team, and plus you know, possible that they won't have to go on the road uh, in the playoffs. That, that that team has the total package. You know, the Patriots are obviously a better offensive club. They score almost a touchdown more per game than the Broncos, but they don't, they don't have that defense. Steve. They, they are not the balanced team that Denver is. Uh, so it's going to be it's going to be very interesting to see see how the, all that plays out. But to me right now, it's certainly the AFC. The Denver Broncos are the scariest team right here, right now, and probably will be going into the playoffs.
1: And you know the way that the Texans, Broncos, and Patriots have really dominated the conference. They have the Texans are ten and one in the conference. The Broncos are nine and two, and the Patriots are ten and one. Those are the three teams to beat, right? I mean, do. you – do you put much stock in Baltimore, Indianapolis, or Cincinnati? I know strange, strange things have happened, but in your opinion, is it going to be Houston, Denver, or New England in the Super Bowl?
0: Yeah, and I would even say it's right now New England and Denver. I, I think Houston's kind of falling back enough. We saw how the Patriots dismantled them. We've seen them struggling in recent weeks. They're not the same team. They're not running the ball very well. They're middle of the pack, an average per rush attempt. They're not the most efficient passing team. A lot of times it comes down to quarterback and obviously Tom Brady, Peyton Manning. Uh the the this you know, the the players that give you a strategic advantage in any single game, uh at Tom Brady and Peyton Manning. So I think it I think it comes down to once again Tom Brady versus Peyton Manning and Will. And you know, the Patriots not only dominated the Texans in recent weeks earlier in the season when Denzel wasn't quite what it is today. The Patriots dominated the Broncos. I believe there was 31-7 at one point, I believe, into the fourth quarter that the Patriots were leading that game before giving up two late touchdowns. And we all know the Patriots' history of big games. We know that, you know, the Peyton Manning-Tom Brady history. Yep, pretty much every year but 2006, of all time, you know?
1: Yep. And Brady's had the edge pretty and, and much after, every year but 2006. I said Brady's had pretty much the edge in that rivalry every year except for the 2006 AFC Championship game.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, they they've met three times in the postseason. And this is interesting. We we were in the numbers and every time these guys have met, the winner of the regular season series has gained home field advantage over the other in the playoffs. Every single year they've both they've, every single year in two thousand one, two thousand three, two thousand four or two thousand one, two thousand and two, mm-hmm. three, four, five, six, seven, you know, it right up. You know, every single year, except, you know, Brady missed a, no, missed a season in 08, Manning missed a season in, in 2011, but every single year the, between these two the team, whether the Manning and the Colts or now, uh, whether Manning and the Colts and, and Brady and the Patriots, the winner of that, that regular season series that home field over the other in the postseason. Except this year, most likely, where the Patriots won the regular season series, but it's looking like the Broncos will gain the upper hand in the postseason. So that's a, that's a new dynamic here where the Patriots won the regular season game, but will probably have to go into Denver uh, if they meet in the playoffs. So that's going to be interesting. No, I don't. You know, no, the Ravens just don't have the quarterback. and They don't have the defense. Uh, if Joe Flacco, you look at all our efficiency numbers, he's an average quarterback, Steve. He yeah. is an average quarterback when you measure. There's no two ways about it. And that defense is an average defense this year. It really is. Uh, giving up 21.4 points per game, 12th in scoring defense. For a little perspective, the famous 2000 Ravens gave up fewer than half as many points. Okay, they gave up 10.3 points per game. This team gives up more than twice as many points as the 2000 Ravens. Uh, it's just not. It's just not that defense that people used to talk about. It's not even close to it. It's a team with an average quarterback and an average defense. Has played well in key situations and has earned a 10 and five record. But the Ravens are not a. They're not a. I would be shocked if they made the Super Bowl. And then this is interesting. Uh, you know, the Bengals could be interesting, but this is interesting. The Colts, you know who they are, Steve? They are the 2011 Denver Broncos, a team that is a bad team across the board statistically that's pulled out some late-game magic with some heroic, you know, late, late, you know last-second victories led by their quarterback, and were able to earn a playoff spot because, because of that, you know, quarterback make a big plays at the end of games. Carrying a bad team to the postseason, but the Colts are a one and done team. I don't see any way possible they they win a they win a postseason
1: game. Yeah, and I think they've won their Super Bowl just by making the playoffs in Andrew Luck's first year and having the success that they've had. I you know I don't think anyone in Indianapolis you might be disappointed after the game, but I think you know long term they're going to look back at this season as a very successful season.
0: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. You know, you look at them in our in our quality staff power rankings. Uh, they are. They are the worst teams in football. They are. They're number 27 across the board in our indicators, uh, which is what the Broncos were last year. Okay, uh, they've won. They've won with the, with well, a lot of poor statistical signatures. A lot of the numbers. You like the, the, if you look at their numbers historically, if you just look at their stats, this would be a four or five win team. It really would. There are a few teams in history that deviate from the norm, and they are one of them. They've just been a team that's pulled out a little late game magic, made some big plays late. Obviously, offensively, but uh, defensively as well. But you know what? Uh, Andrew Luck is the 27th rated passer in the NFL. They're, they're called to number 27 in the NFL in offensive pass rating.
2: Yeah, Andrew. You don't make
0: you don't make you don't make the playoffs when you're a 27th in offensive pass rating. They they should do it. Uh, they they are uh, they are dead last in the NFL in run defense. They're 30th hmm. on our defensive hog index. They're 29th in pass rating differential. We told you that to some other of all stats. It is. A, they may be the worst team ever in pass rating differential to reach a postseason. season.
2: Wow!
1: <laughs>
0: I believe they are. In fact, I'll have, to, I'll have to go look at that. Just looking at it right now, I believe they are the worst team in history, the lowest ranked team in history in pass rating differential to reach a playoff. So they're kind of a mirage. They're a ten fog mirage. It's a great story. It's a nice season, but they in no way in hell do they have the chops to 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 you know get even to the conference title game let alone the Super Bowl. All
1: right. Two last quick things. First. If you heard me on Patriots.com with our boys over there,
0: yeah, I did. In fact, yes, yeah, with, uh, you, Bill Bill Enright and Todd DeVries on Football Nation. You
1: right? heard me rant a little bit about Adrian Peterson, and you
0: have a you, know, you didn't rant you have a man crush on Adrian Peterson.
1: Well, yeah, of course I do. I have no problem. Admitting okay, that. Mine
0: is mine is mine is Doug Flutie, so I'm not I'm not judging you. Yeah,
1: I have no problem I'm admitting just to that. Let you
0: know that I know that you know that I know.
1: Yeah, well, when you start following a kid at 17 years old, and he's one of the most humble most dignified professionals in the entire National Football League, and he shreds his knee on Christmas Eve and is laying on the trainer's table and all he can think about is a kid he promised to sign a jersey afterwards. How can you not have a man crush on him? You know, and he comes back and he has this incredible season that could have been more incredible if they didn't kind of baby him the first four or five weeks of the season and only give him the ball 16 or 17 times. But I just, as a stat guy, I just want to get your perspective on everything that Adrian has accomplished this season.
0: Well, listen, it's one of the great seasons of all time. In fact, we did, we did a study of him last week and the closest season... And it was it was ample before this most recent game because we were looking at him through week 14 uh, and obviously he's still what 270 yards shy of the all-time rushing record, uh, which isn't impre- is impressive is impressive to me at the efficiency numbers uh, where you know he's averaging six yards per attempt, 125 or whatever rushing yards per game. Those are those are impressive numbers. But if you if you compared him after 14 games, the closest season of all time you could find. Is Jim Brown in 1963? Jim Brown is the greatest running back of all time. 1963 was Jim Brown's greatest season of all time, and that is the closest that you that is the closest statistical comparison to what Adrian Peterson's done so far, in in 2000 in 2012. Uh, I'm pulling up some of the numbers for you right now, okay? Uh, Jim Brown, 1963. And this is Adrian Peterson, by the way, through 14 games. Right. Because that's how many Jim Brown played. and just So just for apples and apples, the comparison. Uh, Jim Brown, 291 attempts. Adrian Peterson, 289. Jim Brown, 1,863 yards. Adrian Peterson, 1,812 yards. 51 yards difference. Jim Brown, 6.4 yards per attempt. Adrian Peterson, 6.34 yards per attempt. Jim Brown, 12 rushing touchdowns. Adrian Peterson, 11 rushing touchdowns. We're comparing him to the greatest season by the greatest running back in the history of football, Steve.
1: Well, I guarantee okay? you I guarantee you that when it's all said and done and Adrian Peterson retires, and you can fire me if you want, if I'm wrong about this, <laughs> that when it's all said and done, me and you will be talking about Jim Brown and Adrian Peterson standing shoulder to shoulder as the greatest running backs who have ever played in this league.
0: Well, it's pretty close, and, and I think the key thing uh is if, if you look i'm always interested in in, in uh the efficiency numbers like I said, and if you look at those efficiency numbers it's really i don't care if you run for two thousand yards if you carry the ball five hundred times you're only really averaging four yards per attempt i want to see i want to see what players uh had a, who did, who had a, who did it over the long haul with a high average per attempt you know what I mean had high explosive were able to produce a lot of yards with minimum attempts and by the way there's only there's only a couple guys in history, okay, to average, to run run the ball 500 more times, to run the ball 250 times in a season, and average over five yards per attempt. It's a very, very short list of guys who were able to do it over the long haul. And it's Jim Brown, it's Adrian Peterson, I think Barry Sanders did it once, or Jay Simpson, I believe, did it twice. Uh, there's not a lot of guys who ran the ball uh, 250 more times and still average over five yards per attempt It just does it happen. I'm uh, looking at the list right now. It's uh, uh, you know, Jim Brown, Barry Sanders, Adrian Peterson, O.J. Simpson, Jim Brown, Barry Sanders. I mean, that's, yep. those are the top. Those are the top six right there. It's Jim Brown twice, Barry Sanders twice, and Adrian Peterson and O.J. Simpson. So it's a very, it's a very short list of of elite performers. And by the way, the number three all time, 250 or more attempts in a season. Uh, with more than fifty yards for attempt, there's only three guys. Jim Brown, Barry Sanders, Adrian Peterson. Jim Brown is 63. We just talked about it. Barry Sanders in 97. And Adrian Peterson here in 2012. I mean, to carry the ball that much and still average 60 yards for attempt is, is truly historic. It's, it's you're watching one of the three greatest seasons of all time, Based on that criteria.
1: What a pleasure. What a pleasure Adrian Peterson is. All right, very very last thing I've been asking everyone. By the way, about my man, Doug
0: Foody is the only quarterback in Buffalo Bills history to to pitch a proverbial perfect game, to post a so-called perfect 158.3 pass rating. The only quarterback in Buffalo Bills history to do it. He did it in his very last game of Bills Uniform.
2: Wow,
1: and he had Flutie flakes. Did you ever have any? And
0: he, not only that, but he launched the curse of Flutie, which is why no team that employs Wade Phillips, including the Houston Texans, will will ever will ever do anything of note of significance. While they'll always suffer a miserable fate because Wade Phillips mentioned before the playoffs. against yeah, the Titans for Rob and Johnson. One of the Buffalo Bills have not won a playoff game since that day.
1: I, I don't even think if they've the appeared in the Rudy, playoffs since that day. Have they? What's that? They haven't even appeared in the playoffs since that day. I mean,
0: it's the curse of Flutie. I want you to listen to the Google Curse of Doug Flutie. I've done a lot of research on this. It's, it's got to take it on. It's actually on Flutie's Wikipedia page and everything. It's uh, The Curse of Doug Flutie was chronicled in great detail. And if if your town, if your city, Steve, will just do something to make a man for that decision, they may someday make the playoffs. But, you know, the the, the Curse of Flutie works in mysterious ways.
1: Yeah. Rob Johnson, what a bum. All right, very last thing. Uh I've been asking everyone this last couple of weeks. I've been saying you had 13 weeks to decide. You had 14. Now you've had 15 games to decide. What's your Super Bowl pick, and who do you think is going to win?
0: Uh, you know, my original pick was San Francisco over Houston. I'm a little shaky on both teams right now, so if I have to change it, I am saying Seattle over Denver. Okay. Russell Wilson becoming the first rookie back to win a Super Bowl.
1: I like it. I like the guts there. Okay. Thereby
0: capping uh, one of the great, you know, what a great story he is. The third round draft pick, nobody was talking about him. Five foot eleven. he's one of the highest rated passes in the NFL. He's picked up the number one defense in football. Uh, they run the ball, they pass the ball very efficiently. He's put up great numbers. He's among the lead leaders in real quarterback rating. He has a great defense, and they put, they, they've just been explosive lately. Uh, and he's an undersized third round draft pick who would he even thought could play in the NFL.
1: Well, it's a good thing the bills stayed away from him. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, that would, that would have the curse of Doug Floody. <laughs> <All> right.
1: <laughs> thanks for everything, Carrie, and uh, you're, don't don't even bother turning the TV on uh, January fourth because you won't be happy with uh, what my brother's going to do to your uh, hockey team.
0: All right, all right. Well, I, I, you know, I, I, I hope your soul burning in hell will will be up to the task.
1: <laughs> all right, thanks, but we'll talk to you soon. All right, so special thanks to the boss, Carrie J. Byrne, for being on the show, and I hope that Yale kicks Boston College butt on January 4th <laughs> so that I can talk some crap to Kerry. There you go. Yeah, of course. All right, uh, you can always email us at sportscasters at com. You can follow us on Twitter at sports underscore casters, and you can follow our friends at Football Nation at FBall Nation. Uh, like I said, the Sportscasters Proper is on hiatus, but no reason you can't check out season three, episode six of the Sportscasters, featuring interviews with Mike Trainer or Tannier, excuse me, sorry, Mike, of uh and Roy McGregor of the Globe and Mail in Canada and of course the hockey hall of fame. You can find that at www.sports-casters.com or on iTunes. You know, Don, someone asked me an interesting question today. Okay. Of what they thought the best sportscasters episode of all time is, do you does one stick in your head?
2: Uh, the football episode? The football. Show? Well,
1: either one, I guess. If you put them all together and had to pick a best one, does anything stick out in your head? As a
2: whole episode? No, I don't think I have a whole episode in mind. I don't mean to sound like I don't appreciate our episodes as a whole, but I think it's like singular moments, like Dave is always fun, Damoshek. Uh We got a lot of guys that I have a lot of fun when we talk to them, but... I don't know if one as a whole I think up. I
1: just answered the one that we had Duff McKagan from Guns N' Roses on
2: cuz that's just a cool thing. It just
1: felt so unique and yeah. I'm pretty sure that it's probably our most downloaded episode. Yeah. So it was right after that it was right after they had uh been inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and there was a lot of interest in finding out what he had to say about that.
2: Right. Yeah, and I so I know at times I'll leave a podcast going, that one was really fun or that one was really good. Like, not that they're not all good, but sometimes you get a guest that was a little more bland than you thought or whatever. Right.
1: Yeah, we've had guests that haven't worked out and we haven't called them back. Right, but... And it's
2: not that we didn't appreciate them. It just didn't mix well or something. But, yeah, I know I've walked away from, like, our old studio or where we are now thinking, oh, that one was fun today. That one went well. Sometimes it just flows real well. But uh, I can't off the top of my head. No, I don't think I have it's moments. It's guests to me. It's individual stuff like that. And
1: that makes sense. Uh, we have an email today from someone Matt near Boston who maybe heard me on Patriots.com. And I want to thank Bill Enright and the guys who do the show over there for having us on or me on, uh, to, uh, kind of cross promote a little bit and hopefully give our show a boost as we're kind of building up. But, uh, He says, Stephen Don, for the last few weeks I've heard you guys ask your guests for their Super Bowl picks, but I haven't heard what you guys think. So who is going to New Orleans and who is going to win? And we just heard Kerry say that he thinks it's going to be Seattle and Denver with Seattle and Russell Wilson being the first rookie quarterback to win a Super Bowl.
2: I'm going to talk about in my last thing about how impressed I am with Seattle. So spoiler alert, but I already spoiled it in the first segment anyway. That said, I don't think I'm going to come off of my... Well, I think a few weeks ago we talked about this. I don't remember what podcast it was on, but someone kind of put us on the spot. I don't think it was Neil Mailer, but I think we both said New England-Green Bay. And I don't think I'm going to come off Green Bay. It's just I think in the playoffs the best quarterback usually wins. The only thing I might come off is New England. I think Denver is the best all around team in the league right now. Maybe like, like I said, they have the least glaring weakness at any position. Like I guess green Bay, you could say is kind of weak on defense and uh, their offensive line isn't always great, but uh, I, I like Denver. And the reason I would come off new England is because Denver looks like they're going to lock up not home field advantage throughout the playoffs, but they're not the only team that have to go on the road against is Houston and Houston, looks really beatable to me. So I, I like I'll say Denver and uh Green Bay and that would be a really cool Super Bowl. Do you have a winner? Uh, oh boy. I'd have to come off of what I just said and well I shouldn't say that. I don't know that Peyton's necessarily
1: He's one on one in Super
2: Bowls. Right. I, I think I would take Denver. I, I think Aaron Rodgers is probably the better quarterback right now. I'm not that far off from enough. you.
1: I think I want to go with Denver, too. I've been saying this, that it seems like every time they play, no matter who they play, maybe with the exception of Houston, if you want to go with J.J. Watt over um, Von Miller, it seems like almost always they have the best player on the field at all times, whether it's Peyton or Miller. Um, And I think that if it does come down to New England and Indianapolis, I think that based on how many passing yards and how bad the secondary is in New England. If you can get exposed by... You mean
2: Denver, right? You were talking about Peyton's at Indianapolis. Oh, excuse me, yeah.
1: Of course, Peyton is there for so long. (laughs) I made that slip, but I think what gives Denver the edge, if it comes down to those two teams, and I know we're kind of disrespecting Houston, but we've said on this show many times, we don't trust Houston or Atlanta.
2: No, they've had... For me, Houston's had three tests this year and failed all of them. Uh... So that's that's all it is for me. It's just and I don't even know if I would consider Minnesota a test. I mean, Minnesota might make the playoffs and they failed miserably last week in that test. So, yeah, I don't I don't I don't trust Houston at all. Look at who have
1: they beaten. I think it comes down in the AFC to New England and De- Denver, and I'm going to give Denver the edge because I think that Peyton Manning would absolutely pick apart the Patriots' defense. Yeah. And as great as Brady is, I think he would just come a little bit short of keeping up.
2: And as good as like Wayne and Harrison are, uh, he's got a sick receiver in Demarius Thomas. He there. does. And Decker isn't as good as Wayne or Harrison, but he's not a bad compliment there. He's got a nice, nice offense, and got he's a good... got a
1: decent slot receiver in Stokely, who's had yeah. a, a decent year for. His he's a guy that he's definitely in career,
2: definitely comfortable with too. So that's 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 just a good all around. And then
1: in the NFC, man, I I hate to be so the same as you, but I think Green Bay owes the league one in a sense. They had such <laughs> a great season last year and failed in the playoffs. But I was thinking about them the other day and what happened last year. And I think they were just woefully unprepared for that Giants game because of what they went through leading up to it with their offensive coordinator son tragically passing oh, away. Right, right. I think that that just happened at the worst possible time. And I think, The Giants just caught them right. And I think that they're going to remember that this year. And they're going to go out when the playoffs start. And I've already seen them beat Atlanta in a playoff game in Atlanta. I know that they can do that again if they have to. And I love the way Rodgers is playing. And I love the receivers he has. And I think Clay Matthews is a beast. And I think that they're just a really tough matchup for just about everyone. And they're kind of like Denver in the sense where they kind of started slow, but they've built their team right. up through the course of the season. And I think that I'll pick Green Bay to be the Super Bowl champions.
2: Yeah, Green Bay might be the 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 pick you can make an argument for Seattle, maybe for San Francisco. Uh, we're, again, just dismissing Atlanta. But uh, it's not really hard to pick Denver, the team that's won, what, 11 straight now? So, right.
1: I, I you know if I had if if someone said okay you can't pick who Don picked then I'm picking New England and Atlanta right right and in and, and that's with everything I've said about Atlanta
2: that's the that's the Super Bowl if I had to like put money on that's the Super Bowl I would put money on it's also the Super Bowl I think I'd most want to see is Denver Green Bay it just would be an exciting game with a lot of similarities great quarterbacks guys that are great at rushing the quarterback and it'd be a lot of fun. Green Bay doesn't run the ball nearly. Wouldn't
1: be good as the greatest Super Bowl of all time, Super Bowl 44, (laughs) but it would be a good one.
2: All right, one more thing from me. Uh, I want to go on record in saying I was wrong and maybe a little bit, at this point, jealous of Seattle. Uh, First of all, they took a quarterback that everyone in the league passed on three times, but more so than anybody, my Bills passed on three times. They can't be passing on guys... Not to pick a project in the yeah. third round
1: like TJ Graham. Well, you made that point. If you want to pick a project, pick a quarterback as a project. Right,
2: you got two projects to choose from. You took the receiver that you didn't even get into the games much till the end of the season. That team looks really, really good. Uh, for a while, they had the Asterix win, and they had like a last-second win to somebody else, and it's like, okay, what can they do? But now they're they're blowing apart teams. They look they look like a team on a mission. Uh, Marshawn Lynch any other year would probably be getting MVP uh, consideration. They play defense well. They run the ball great. They don't pass a ton, but they're efficient. They don't turn the ball over a ton. And they blew out their rivals in San Francisco last week. They look for real. That said, uh, Tuesday morning quarterback – always mentions this, that the football gods, and I know that it's kind of a jokey thing to say, but the football gods don't like teams that blow people out. They have blown, they have not blown them out, but embarrassed them. They've embarrassed. Yeah, Kerry,
1: Kerry mentioned that 58 to nothing win was the third biggest blowout in NFL history. They
2: embarrassed Arizona. They embarrassed Buffalo running fake punts at the end of the game that were meaningless. And they embarrassed San Francisco. They're probably going to embarrass St. Louis this week, although, like we said, their defense is better and they're a better team than they look but they probably win that game too i would just be a little bit weary or i don't know what it is mentally maybe you get too much in the zone or i think the games is easier than it is when you start blowing teams out like this but teams that tend to have these blowouts tend to fall on their faces so like i said as much as i've changed my mind about seattle i don't think it's cute the way they're blowing teams out either and i think they might pay for it in the playoffs all right so that
1: means one last thing for me and It's about the Saints, but it's not about the Saints. It's really about why we love the NFL so much is that even when your team is out of the playoffs, you can watch a game like I did Sunday and literally use every emotion in your body while watching the game. Saints in Dallas, if you didn't get a chance to see the game, was one of the probably best regular season games of the year, and I literally used every emotion I had in watching that game. I mean, there was excitement, When the Saints made good plays, there was disappointment when the defense broke down and let Des Bryant get two straight, I think, 56-yard touchdowns to tie the game. There was deflation when they had the Cowboys to 4th and 10 with no time left and Miles Austin who couldn't catch a ball all day (laughs) tied the game. And then there was excitement and joy in winning the game and knowing that you had taken something away from Dallas and that's a chance to clinch the last take away their chance to be a card team and it's not about the Saints it's about why we win the NFL or love the NFL that even though your team is out of it you can still have a great three and a half hours on a Sunday using every emotion you have and it felt like 2010 again to me and I want to think the Saints, and the National Football League and the game of football for that. Spend my days with a woman and kind Smoke my stuff and drink All my mind